We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a battle with West Ham that leads to three big points for Arsenal not on the agenda today as has been preempted by the signing of Alex Runerson at goalkeeper. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. We wanted to talk about West Ham. Fascinating game. Up and down. Maybe it was good. Maybe it was bad. Midfield. Is that an issue? Defense. What do we do with Cole Nash? So many talking points and yet we have to set them all aside to do a full 240-minute podcast on the... No, I'm kidding. We're not going to talk about them at all. In fact, we are going to pay even less attention to it then the Arsenal official account today has uh, uh, paid to it. I, I kid because actually that would be impossible. He just got the tweet. Like, this dude signed. End of message. I love it. Uh, he did have a funny quote where he said that, uh, you know, the, the goalkeeper coach was a big factor in his signing. And uh, I had to joke that us being the only club that wanted him also had to be a fairly big factor. But all kidding aside, we got a backup keeper. We got him cheaply. I'm fine with it. We're not going to go into the two refrigerators analogy today. What we are going to do is talk Arsenal. But before we do that, um, you know, we haven't been doing advertising on the pod. And I do uh, sometimes want to try to support businesses related to Arsenal and from Arsenal fans. So we're going to do that really quickly. Um, ArsenalEditor.com. I want to tell you about it. So Neil's uh, was kind enough to get in touch and show us the website. And he's got some beautiful Arsenal posters there that I think are just really stunningly designed and and they look nice and the, the pricing seems good. I wanted to support it on the podcast and so we're doing that now. So you can go to arsenaleditor.com. Um, there's there's Aubameyang ones, there's FA Cup ones, there's all the different players, variety of sizes and um, framed or not framed, however you want to receive them. So make it easy for you if you want. Uh, looks like free shipping pretty much anywhere around the world. And if you use the uh, promo code ArsenalVPodcast, ArsenalVPodcast, same as our Twitter handle, 
at Arsenal V Podcast, um, you'll get 10% off as well. So it's arsenaleditor.com. You can go there, support an Arsenal fan and, and his uh, brand new business that he's got up and running. And we wish Nils all the best, uh, along with my pronunciation of his name, which was probably wrong, but he's in Stockholm right now, cringing as I speak it. In any event, uh, Paul's on Twitter, pause my pants, and uh, we will welcome him into the show now. Hello, Paul. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PAC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Yeah, so... Um, this is going to be a difficult game to analyze because it is a win. I think we showed a lot of character in the win. I think some people are very unhappy with the way we played. And then I think there are other things about how we played that maybe reflect a different interpretation of the game. A game where there was a 22-minute period that we were outshot 10-0. Not great. But also a game where we had a lot of possession, a lot of dominance in possession. And, and there were some good things that we did and, and certainly created a couple of good goals to win the game. And I think it's just going to be one of these podcasts where your view on the game is going to be largely influenced by what section of the game sticks in your mind the most. But maybe the most important part of the game was before the game, and it's the fact that that Tierney was uh, not able to play. A hip injury, apparently not serious, looks like he was just being held out precautionarily, you'd certainly hope, because he's had a bit of an injury track record, and Clive... This was a big call for Arteta, and I'd be willing to bet that having watched the game, if he could go back and pick someone else, he would. I can only assume he didn't feel Louise was fit enough for the 90. Um, I do think it is interesting that Cedric, who supposedly can play left and right, has now not made the match day squad twice. Maybe he would have been someone uh, to consider, or even Maitland-Niles, although playing him at left center back might have been a little uncomfortable for him defensively, especially going up against someone as big as Antonio on, uh, on the West Ham side. But he did choose Kolasinac, and I do think that his involvement was a really big factor in some of the struggles we had, especially in light of how important Tierney has been. Um, Saka coming in made sense to me. More attacking option for a home game against a team we needed to push back. Um, But certainly partnering with Cola wouldn't have helped him at all. So how do you feel about that decision? Do you think maybe Arteta would have changed his mind, given a second go at it? And do you think it was really one of the big stories of, of how we played the match? Uh, I, I think obviously Tierney does that role really well and, and no one else can do it as good as him. But I don't think it was the biggest factor of, in the game as to why we didn't do so well. I think um, West Ham were quite smart. They matched us up with their system. And what they did really cleverly was they kept not only the width of the pitch covered by playing wing-backs, but they also kept the the depth much narrower for us. So front to back, they squeeze the lines really well. So if you think back to what Arsenal do well, is they have depth in their game and they travel up the pitch with zigzags and, and movement and switches. But it's all done from depth. And what West Ham did smartly was take the depth away. And that put pressure on our ball progression. What you have if you're a footballer, you look ahead of you and you see crowds of people, what do you do? You don't punch it first time like we did against Fulham. It's all one-touch, quick passing against Fulham. What you do when you've got crowds of people ahead of you, if you had two, three, four touches, yeah? And so that ball progression goes. And so players like Sabayas, players like Saka, players like Klasnik, who were maybe just coming into the team for the first time, not quite as comfortable. There was no spaces for one-touch play, so we were moving the ball slowly. And so what we do as fans, we look at the players that have come in and say, well, they didn't do well, right? So... Well, actually, what happened was West Ham did well, and they they forced us to do other things as we were to build our game, right? So, so I think clashing it was a was an issue, but I also think Sabias was an issue. I, I'll go into that a bit later. I also think 
what we did you know, on the right-hand side was an issue. I also think what West Ham did on the left-hand side was an issue for us. Mm. Right? And so I don't want to do the whole soliloquy right now. I hope you're a bit left for me <laughs> later on, but I can tell you exactly what happened in this game, oh. where we went wrong. I'm going to hold it for now. Oh, I feel you will get your chances. I do love that you're baiting me by name-checking Ceballos as a disappointment, but not name-checking Shaka, just teasing me, baiting me, hoping that I will uh, take the fight. I will, I will, I will. Um, But, you know, before we do that, you know, I think, look, Tim, the reason I thought that the Kolasinac thing was important is Saka is a more advanced player than Maitland-Niles, certainly on Mm. the ball. He wants the ball, and we saw that he was able to create basically both goals in a way with his involvement in those two moves. And, if you just look at Tierney to Ainsley Maitland-Niles, and Maitland-Niles is probably not as involved from an attacking standpoint as, as you'd expect Saka to be, but Tierney gave the ball to Maitland-Niles 12 times against Fulham. Kolasinac gave the ball to Saka four times. So that right mm. there tells a story. I think the irony is Saka gave it to Kola just as much as Maitland-Niles gave it to Tierney, right? So it, it is the case that one of the big routes to getting the ball into that half space, getting that ball into the overlaps, which was Tierney to Maitland-Niles was not available to Sacco, who you'd expect to be even more dangerous from those positions, and on the limited chances he got, he he was dangerous. But I guess if you're not going to point to that part of the pitch, I, I don't see any reason to not start with a midfield conversation because I think it is a big part of it. Um, you know, our central midfielders between them had 221 passes and created mm. one shot. Now, the shot that created was Danny Ceballos' assist to Enkedia for the winner. Very important. And I know there are people that are going to be screaming, the central midfielder's role isn't to create shots. Well, Fulham pressed us, and that's how we created chances. We got past that press, but West Ham didn't. They sat back. And I think if you look at the positions that, that Shaq and Ceballos took up, they were able to get more advanced at times. I mean, Ceballos, extremely advanced for the, the, the goal that wins the game. But there were through balls on. There were times, and Kolasinac had them as well, where Lacazette was running between defenders, where Aubameyang was running between defenders, where Saka was coming into space. And too often, I felt, they took the easy road, the the pass back to one another or to a defender or laterally. And so for me, you know, Tim, to create chances and break down teams, the passes aren't going to play themselves. There has to be bravery. There has to be responsibility. The passes don't play themselves. Someone's got to get it between the lines. Straight balls punched ahead to the forwards. And I think this, the midfielders not doing it in this game is a big reason why West Ham was able to keep us at bay. So do you see it similarly or, or, or maybe have a different take? I So I, I, uh, I still think there's that midfield piece missing, right? Because we're judging Xhaka and Ceballos as a two based on what we'd expect from a midfield three. That's fair. And um, it was... It was too late, I think, to do this in this game because of the circumstances. But the more I think about it, the more I think... Um, the the Maitland Nile Saka piece is key, and when it's Maitland and and perhaps like a move I'd like to see is away from home, set up in that three four three, have Maitland Niles kind of going left wing back in in field, um, and then replace him with Saka for home games like this, which is what he did. But I think we should outright change that. And I know like Arteta's not as hung up on formations, but I think we tweak that slightly and we don't make Saka a left wing back. We make him the left-sided central midfielder. That's where he made his two biggest contributions of the game as essentially a third midfielder. Um, because what what having, a, what having a midfield two, as much as I kind of agree that Xhaka and Ceballos, um, I don't want to say they're limited, but because they do their jobs really well, it's just their skill sets are about getting the ball from the first third to the second third. We don't have 
anything in that area between you know getting the ball from the second third to the third third mm. and we're kind of time sharing that third midfield slot sometimes it's the left wing back who comes in um, sometimes it's Lacazette who drops back into midfield sometimes it's Willian who comes in and we've got like three players who kind of hover around in that area and I think for games like this we need a much more secure presence there and then I think you'd see the more adventurous passing because um, if Saka, for example, is not starting at left wing back and he's in that left sided central midfield role, I think maybe first of all, it's another passing option, right? It's another passing lane. But I also think that it just brings the lines of your team closer together and that empowers uh, the likes of Xhaka and Sabios to try and play those passes because you think, okay, I'm going to try that clip over the top. And we tried that a couple of times. I think we moved Xhaka over to the right, didn't we? And we, because mm. we were trying to overload the left, we pushed Kalasanach up, we pushed Saka up, we pushed Abamyang. And, but that's the thing. That's what I want to see. Like from the start of these games is to form that triangle on the left-hand side. Let's get Saka and, you know, hopefully in the ordinary run of things, Tierney and Abamyang, nice and close together. Exactly like we used to do Pires, Henri, Cole, um, that kind of triangle going on. I, I just felt that, you know, by starting, I know Sakov ended up in those positions quite a lot, but I think let's be bolder. Let's like, like, let's get him starting on like the halfway line and going forward from there, not starting inside his own half. And then, you know, having to do like a 40 yard sprint to get up there. Like, I, I think we move that piece forward a little bit for games like this. And we saw what happened you know, Saka, probably not a great game overall, but like you said, those two passes were match winning. But the other thing that happened was Ceballos, you know, like you said, he he sets up um, the winning goal because it's the first time he really breaks away from the midfield structure. Xhaka and Ceballos cannot do that. They cannot do that if there's only two of them. You can't, Xhaka's not going to do it anyway because that's not his game. But Ceballos in particular, who probably has the athleticism to do that more often, he can't do it if there's a midfield two. He has to stay where he is. Mm. And I just think it makes us a little bit more static. And so um, I I kind of agree with you, I guess, but I don't necessarily blame um, the players themselves. I just think that maybe we need to lose that little bit of inhibition at home, push Saka up into that left-sided midfield spot, um, and and go from there really, and and really give them give them more passing lanes, but also make them think, you know, okay, well, if I try and clip that ball over the top to Abamyang, um, most of the time the passes were overcooked, and I think the reason the passes were overcooked is because like right, there is no one else there except Abamyang, so mm. I can't short sell it. If Saka perhaps is 10, 15 yards behind Abamyang, you think, okay. I'll wait the ball so that even if the defender gets ahead on it, we've got the second line there and Saka can pick it up. As it was, Aubameyang was pretty much on his own. So you're basically just lumping hopeful balls to one guy in 20 yards, 20 yards of space. So I, I'd like to see an adjustment to the setup for these games. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I mean, I think you can say if Tierney had played, then maybe there's more angles to get Saka the ball. There's more players playing hurtful balls. There were so many times when Kolasinac had runners that he just basically ignored that Tierney would not have ignored. And, you know, I mean, credit to Kolasinac, like he just hasn't been playing much and it's a very intricate system with where you have to be in and out of possession. So I'm not saying it's easy, but I I don't want to beat up Kolasinac because the fact is like, no one thinks he's got a future at the club. And we just saw that on the day. I, I mean, Paul, 
the thing that's hard for me, the irony is I came away from this game feeling a lot better than it seems like most people did. And I think the reason for me is I am always looking to see signs of coherence to our football, signs that we are moving into space well and the players are giving the ball quickly. And and I thought there were times we did that. And one of the indications of that for me was really um, just reading uh, Scott's by the numbers column for Arts Blog. Look, I know that XG is like the gold standard for how you analyze the chances in a game. And we, we lost the XG battle in this game and we were doubled up in shots 14-7, not great. But if you go sort of inside those numbers, Scott writes, in this match, Arsenal was able to actually get the ball into dangerous areas and were the better team when you look at the match from a non-shot XG perspective. And again, you can have your own opinion on any of these models and whether they're of value. But we had three non-shot XG to their 1.5. And really the number that I'm looking at is 63 touches within 25 yards of goal for us compared to 34 touches within 25 yards of goal for West Ham. And it gets back to my point that the passes aren't going to play themselves. Paul, I thought the ball moved well and we got into dangerous areas and it, it was a failure to turn those dangerous positions into quality shot opportunities. And I think there's yeah. a lot of places you can look. I... I know that the primary responsibility doesn't belong with the central midfielders, but I think if you play 221 passes and create one shot, then maybe you haven't been adventurous enough. But do you do you see it as similarly a midfield issue or maybe other things? I mean, we certainly will come on to players like Willian who, who may be more um, responsible for that sort of failure. Yeah, um, so it was definitely a bit of a miss midfield issue, especially in the first half and especially in the first whatever, 25, 30 minutes. It wasn't just the midfield. None of those bastards were hitting their passes. <laughs> um, and Arteta talked about that. He also talked, to your point, about the uh, quality in terms of finishing because we had we created a lot of opportunities. And I think we made an adjustment at halftime. Um, I think uh, West Ham's positioning is very interesting in that they didn't have a low block. They had maybe kind of a mid-block and uh, if you think of the number of times we got the ball over the top, or if you think of the two goals, they're both from a not a super high line, but given that West Ham were defending, a fairly high line in terms of how much space there still was to run to the goal line. Um, so they chose to kind of set up very densely in that area where you're looking for your eights or your ten to be picking up that pass. Now, I think we did a piss-poor job hitting Willian, and, and Saka when they move into those spots. But but our difficulty getting fluency in the first half combined with West Ham absolutely knowing where they needed to block us, but giving us the kind of that space beyond their back line, that was the gambit they took on the basis that they'd then be able to counter from not too deep a position. They'd be able to go at us. So they kind of picked an interesting spot of the pitch to set up camp make it really tough for us. And we struggled and we struggled more than we should have, especially in the first half, because we just couldn't hit our bloody passes mm. because Willian and Saka drifting into midfield as occasional eights and tens isn't the same as knowing the eight and 10 is going to be there. And the synchronicities weren't there. And it was first, you know, it was Sabayas's first game back. I think I said on the reaction pod that I expected Sabayas to look a lot better in the rewatch. He didn't actually. Um, I thought he was doing some good stuff that maybe we hadn't all picked up on, but I think he kind of struggled in this game in particular. Not that it was bad, but... I agree that he, he struggled, kind of, but I, I, I certainly struggled. don't take issue with that conclusion, yeah. Yeah. On the other hand, Chaka 
kind of did something different in the second half. I think maybe the game loosened up a bit and there was a bit more space for him. But I think they also concluded, let's stop trying to play through their lines. Let's play over their lines. Because as, as we chatted about on the WhatsApp, I mean, I think he has seven or eight dinks over the top. They didn't all come off. But, like, you could put together a pretty nifty highlight reel of maybe five dinks over the top from Chanka. There's a video um, going around of his second half performance. I think it's a little misleading oh, okay. only because it doesn't show the passes he didn't play, the ones he didn't complete. It doesn't yeah, show yeah, yeah. the conservative choices. It's literally a supercut yeah. of his balls over the top. But to be fair, those balls over the top are good progressive attempts to, to drive us forward when we weren't able to play through the thirds. So he tried to skip a third, which, you know, fair play. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, there was that clip of the international game the other day with it against Germany for Switzerland, and he has that ball over the top. Um, and this is like, you know, if you like that, you're going to like this because there's a bunch of them. Now, it doesn't mean he had a brilliant half and he had a brilliant game. But the one thing they did conclude was uh, they could get Aubameyang, Saka, whoever, up that left-hand side in there after Fredericks. And Chaka was quite a big piece of it. So I'm a bit torn. You know, I think he actually mostly had a good second half. But that's because conditions changed a little bit and the approach changed a little bit. But we shouldn't rule out West Ham's role in that. But again, Arteta's interviews, as I said uh, on, on the previous pod, he gives good interview. He's so crisp in the, in the space. Three, four sentences, he lays it all out. You know, we weren't at the races to begin with. Uh, we we kind of got to grips with it at some stage. We had a problem with quality of, of finishing you know, happy to get the results that we practice better. I think a real big piece of the choices we made on the lineup was the practice was so good during the week that when he lost Tierney, he went for like for like. The closest he had was Kolasinac. And, you know, in hindsight, maybe you change a little bit how you want Mm. to play. And we came out and we it was just a damp squib for like. 13 minutes or so. Yeah, and and look, timing is so important in football. What did we see during Project Restart that was a huge feature of it? Arteta thrived in the in the drinks breaks, right? He would bring us out of the drinks breaks really well, I thought. He can coach up yeah. this team. We get unlucky that they score right before halftime because if we go in 1-0 mm. and he can coach him up a little and West Ham has to come on to us and we can tweak our plan a little bit to to you know, leverage having a 1-0 lead in the second half. I think it's a very different game and and a little unfortunate to have such shambolic defending on the, the brink of halftime, basically, because I think I think it could have been a very different second half without that. I mean, look, there is no question in my mind that some things the midfield did were good and Shaka, as you met, I mean, he had the ball over the top to Kolasinac, for example, in the, in the penalty area, unmarked, mm. that he just blasts in, in the stands, like, under no pressure. Um... And if they Double do to Saka, a few to yep. uh, Alba. Well, yeah. and I, I mean, you look at it. I, I think there is an issue with the fact that you know Willian had seven touches within twenty-five yards of goal, one shot or shot-creating action from that possession, and another one we're going to have to get to after we finish the midfield discussion is Lacazette, who had eleven touches within twenty-five yards of goal, and that produced one shot or shot-creating action, which was his goal to be fair. But the ten other touches, a lot of slow plotting in the box. Williams set him up for a great early opportunity, did nothing. By comparison, you look at Aubameyang, who you say was kind of quiet. Nine touches within 25 yards of goal. Five of them turned into shots or shot-creating actions. Just a crisper player. He also had the beautiful assist. So, Clive, let's finish the midfield discussion, because I know there's meat on that bone and you want to get to it. Um, You know, to me, 
you can look at this game and say, this game is the absolute, put it in the Louvre, frame it, hang it somewhere, maybe hang it on arsenaleditor.com, wherever you want to put it, and and hold it up as the example for why we are going after a player like Hasim Awar, someone who can play the through ball, who can split defenses from the middle of the pitch, who won't look to spring it wide or go over the top every time. I I think this is the quintessential game for what we were concerned about with Arteta's attack, which is will we be able to to create chances from the center of the pitch against defenses that are maybe a little more compact, and, and it was a problem on the day. So it doesn't sound like you want to put that burden on the midfield, but how do you want to evaluate that part of it? Yeah, there's lots here, and Paul's really made some good points about where the space was. It was, they played a, a highish line, they squeezed the space front to back, as I said earlier, and that created crowd scenes, and we kept trying to play through it or play around it, so it looked pretty sterile. So this gives credit to West Ham's shape. Um, and the passes were over the top. If David Luiz playing, I tell you what, he'd had a field day in that left-hand channel, straight in there, first phase, they'd have been in trouble. They'd have soon dropped off, and then we would have actually had more room to play once they dropped off. So what we should have done early was go over the top much sooner, recognise the game that was there for us, stretch the game out, get some depth to the game. Once we got depth, then we can play our out-from-the-back football that we saw at Fulham and that we all know and love, right? So that's one thing. The Shaka and Tobias thing and the midfield thing. So what was happening was because they were blocking off spaces, we were having too many touches. So the choreography of the team and the co- cohesion of the team had gone. Right. So Tobias is keen to come in. He wants to have a touch, have a feel. And structurally, and I'm here, you're not going to like this, but structurally, he doesn't keep the same structure as El Nini does. He doesn't play on the slant. He goes and chases the ball. He goes after the ball. He wants to go over to you. He wants to feel it. And what that does, it left Shaka on a bit of an island sometimes. He was a pressing target. Back to the old days when he was on an island with no one near him, and suddenly you know, Rice and them could go and get him, right? And Suchek, they can go and get him, press him, win the ball, get into crossing areas. And it's interesting that we swapped him over, Tobias and Shaka. And it's interesting that you guys think they want to overload the left-hand side. Well, actually, what was happening on our right-hand side was Cresswell and Masuaku were absolutely dominating, and they were putting in cross after cross after cross. They put in 28 crosses in this game, and and to be honest, Antonio should have scored one. And he sort of messed up in a six-yard box. And I don't know, I asked the guys on Discord how many came from our right-back area, but a lot came from the right-back area. I think it was and thir- not very 13 in the right and eight, for, eight from the other side. So, I mean, a good solid amount more, yeah. Yeah, And that, exactly. that's so, an estimate based on looking at uh, uh, some like uh, maps of the pitch. Not, I don't have the actual statistics, but it looks like uh, 13 from the right and 9 from the left. There you go. So I would have thought he was born in that. Well, the ones that are more dangerous seem to come from the left-hand side. You mm-hmm. know, you have a memory in the game, so it may be slightly weighted. Our defensive left, and, they're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So so what happens was that we moved Shaka over, and it's interesting, I thought we moved Shaka over to help block off that side because he's our best defender. And the problem this team has is Shaka's too important. And what does that say about the rest of the midfield? He moved over, in my opinion, to stop their strength, which was Cresswell and Mazuaku, who were causing us a problem. And Antonio's position was also in the holding Bellering channel. So that was where they went for. They went for our right-back area, and we went for their right-back area. And it was a game of left-hand sides. And so we flipped Shaka over, 
And because of Sasha Bias's, shall we say, lack of structure, he actually makes a run that no one else would make and ends up saying that the winning goal. Right? So Yeah, he's in the I left half space as the most advanced player. It's a very weird, very weird yeah, position exactly. to pop up. In. And he, and he, and he that's, his, that's actually his favorite place to do triangles. I, I kind of said that a lot. We haven't seen it much because we've played him deeper, but when you let him wander, that's where he heads, right up into yeah. that corner. Right into that left hand side, into that left eight yeah. V, that's where he goes. So we ended up loading up that side. So what we had, you know, just you you guys and you and you all do it. And I and I'm gonna say something, right? Because we, we've grown up, we're Arsenal fans, so we've grown up with creative players. So we think creativity is in someone's feet, right? So, But creativity is based on how you receive the ball and how you move. A creative player can't do it on his own unless you have creative movement. What we had at Fulham was lots of running and creative movement, which made our passing look fantastic. Not one of us mentioned creativity in that game because we had lots of distraction running, lots of overloading, lots of distances, and lots of speed and lots of movement. And my goodness, we all looked so creative. When we were static because they took the spaces away, now we're thinking about we want a creative player. Well, actually, we want more players who can carry, definitely, they can take, can commit people, carry, commit people, and move people. That's what we need. And Saka worked it out. And how he worked it out was really smart. He started in, went out, and then comes back into the space that he's left and in a lateral movement and creates movement that way. I think that player is so intelligent. His execution yeah. wasn't as crisp as he normally is. But what he did is he worked out. And he and Elliot, you're absolutely right. There were times when Saka and Aubameyang were in our first phase and we didn't play the ball forward. We we would If David Luiz plays, we smash this team. If Tierney plays, we smash it because they, they're more ambitious with that first phase pass and they would have recognised the runs. But Saka, the way he unlocks teams, he does not belong in a 19-year-old's body. I don't know how he does this, but he manages to know how to carry at the angle and his weight of pass is just so good. He should have scored. He made a bad decision on the shot. But don't be disappointed about this game. This is what football is. Teams are going to watch us. We're one of the most formed teams in the country. They put up a plan against us. They compress the space. And you know what? The manager found a way to add some energy up top. And he's found a way to flip it around to stop them scoring on our right back area. And basically nick the game in the last five minutes. It is a classic coach's get home, take the win bonus, have a drink. What a great day. So much to analyse that's not quite right. But while we're learning, we've got three points. And I'll tell you what, I was very, very pleased with how this went. Yeah, again, I mean, I hate to always compare and contrast to something like the Emery era, right? But like, you're always looking for the evolution. And I think under Emery, when we were bad, it wasn't just that we weren't getting shots. It's that we couldn't control games on the ball. We couldn't progress it. We couldn't move it quickly. I mean, if you watch the first little bit of this game, we're, all right, the first few minutes are dreadful. And then we had a period where we created a really good opportunity for Lacazette. He doesn't get the ball out of his feet. Um, but, like, the ball was pinging. It was moving around. It just wasn't, we didn't have that that final ball. And and maybe part of it is that it wasn't coming to Saka enough. I mean, I thought Aubameyang was a little more peripheral in this game. The whole left-hand side seemed to short-circuit a little um, with Colsey and, and we there. couldn't find William, could we? No, well, so, so I do want to get so to that. Available. Um, well, all right. So, so Tim, let, let's talk about William and Lacazette's game. I mean, early on they were connecting. They were they were finding each other. They had a couple of good exchanges on you know in the right channel that Lacazette didn't get shots off. And then I thought William 
faded from the game a bit. And I'm not sure, you know, what was necessarily wrong. I think the thing with Willian is this is not a player who is extremely dynamic in my view. I just think he's intelligent. He moves it quickly. He goes where he's supposed to, but I don't think he's going to break a game open. And maybe it's just that, you know, West Ham were just that little bit more organized and compact than Fulham, understandably Fulham giving up another four goals against Leeds at the weekend. Um, And and Willian just didn't, didn't find the spaces to exploit because I don't think he's going to do the spectacular. I think he's going to do the simple and available thing, which is a very valuable thing. We saw that a week ago. So between Lacazette and William, I thought there were two disappointing performances. Now look, Lacazette scores a goal and you never want to write off a player who has scored a goal. But the the time it takes for him to get the ball out of his feet in the box is a concern for me. And, and I think you saw with Enkedia just the, that little bit of extra sharpness. So do you want to maybe focus on those two as... Another one of our issues breaking down, um, breaking down West Ham because I thought a lack of dynamism from from both of them was was evident. Yeah, and and again, um, I I think your assessment of Willian is right. Willian, um, I, you know, I described him as like a rhythm section uh, when I wrote about him last week. He that's what he's always done. You know, he played. Brazil with Neymar, played for Chelsea with Hazard. He's playing for Arsenal with Aubameyang. He he's not the piece that the whole attack is built around, but he, he brings the kind of the structure and he allows those players to shine um, while doing some really valuable things himself, like brilliant set pieces. He's good in kind of one-on-one situations and, you know, he does have the intelligence to kind of come inside um, and tuck in what, what I think happened in this game. And I think this probably impacted Lacazette as well is that in the second half, um, we, we just like, kind of gave up on our right-hand side and Willian drifted over to the left a few times as yep. well. Mm-hmm. So we put Xhaka right, uh, kind of on the right side, which means in possession, he's going to look even more at that kind of that angle over the top, over towards the left, push Sakharat, push Kolasinac more wide. You know, so we, we had that kind of three, sometimes four players overloading on that side and we did we did nothing down the right so i think you can include bellerin and nicola pepe when he came on as well in this um bellerin not a lot from him in the second half because the ball just wasn't over there not a lot from pepe when he came on because the ball just wasn't on that side and with lacazette lacazette's kind of signature move i guess in this system is that he comes with his back to goal towards the center circle and um i forget which goal it was at the end of last season maybe it was um the Aubameyang's first against Man City where he just does that. Yeah, yeah. So you know what I'm going to say? He comes back towards the halfway line, spins on his right foot and then just angles that kind of curled pass round to the right wing. Um, And and when there's nothing really going on on your right wing, that that kind of option's not there. So Lacazette basically, and I think correctly because of the other left-sided players we have, Lacazette kind of is more connecting with that right-hand side with with Bellerin and Willian. And and that just didn't happen in the second half. And I, I think that might be a mixture of how well West Ham shut that side down. But I also think um, maybe... Arteta thought that Fredericks was more of a weakness than Cresswell. There was something about, or, or maybe he just felt he had stronger players on the left-hand side. Maybe it could have been that, but we, we were hitting that left a lot more in the second half. Um, I probably should have looked up the data on that, um, but I, I certainly have a strong impression that we were going towards the left as well, and, and William kept going over there, and he must have been told go over there we're kind of almost abandoning right hand side so i do think that impacted the performances of of both the players 
Um, I do think in the first half, Willian, like you said, he like he should have had another assist, really, if Lacazette pulls the trigger when he should in the second minute. And he plays a nice one, too, with Willian. But we just didn't see enough of that that kind of combination um, between the two. And, and I guess, as well, West Ham played... You know, they played quite... They had their wing-backs, but they played quite narrow. They were narrow in midfield. Their front three were narrow. Um, you know, they blocked those passing lanes up quite nicely. And I, and I think maybe Willian just got a little bit lost um, in the game. But to be fair to him, um, Pepe didn't didn't do an awful lot more when he came on either. So I, I think there were other things going on that impacted both players. Yeah, and I mean, look, to be fair... <laughs> If you give the ball to a player in a good position, he doesn't get a shot off. That's not on you. But like Willian had 31 touches leading to an XG chain of 0.0, meaning no touch he had in the game produced a move that at any point resulted in a shot. So in other words, like if I'm a central defender and I give it to you and you run the length of the pitch, give it to someone else and they shoot and score or even just shoot, don't score. I get credited with some XG there for that chance from having been involved in the move. What this is telling you is basically Willian was not involved in any single move that resulted in any single shot. It's not really ideal um now I, I think there's some data that that actually has that wrong but i mean it's close it's one or, or none but you know you look at lacazette 11 touches within 25 yards a goal one shot or shot creating action now it's a goal so you'll take it Aubameyang nine sh- touches in that same zone five shots or shot creating actions i i thought this was a game where it's a tedious debate, so so I don't want to lean into it, but I do think it was a debate, uh, a debate. I do think it was a game where the Aubameyang center forward argument could have been stronger because we did progress the ball pretty well, and Lacazette did get the ball in some good situations where he wasn't able to get his shot off, and I just think Aubameyang's that little bit sharper with his movement and his his shooting and like some of the early involvement with Willian. I I, I don't know. I mean. Uh, Paul, I'll come back to you really quickly, though, because because Clive's agreeing with me in the messages, and this never happens, so I, I want to leverage this moment uh, and then record it and then uh, have it played as a eulogy at my, uh, hopefully, a uh, long time from now, funeral. Clive, am I am I saying something that's right? Yeah, <laughs> are um, we having are. a breakthrough? You, <laughs> I, I think uh, Bamiyang had a bit of a lazy game. I don't think his movement was that great, um, and we need to be honest about that. Um, I think he was finding it hard to read the, the service up to him. Um, and I looked at this and I thought, you know, this was a day for a bit of William on one side and, and Pepe on the other and have two stretching options, you know, one dropping in. I felt West Ham crowded Lacazette like out completely. And I think this is a game where you can see the upgrade potential. You know, I, I want my centre forward to be able to be strong enough not to be looked down on by uh, Diop and Ogbonna. He's looked at Lacazette and just looked down on him. I want my centre forward to be able to take the ball to my feet and shake and bake and turn around and make people drop off and make them be scared they're going to turn around. Lacazette doesn't do that. He plays and goes backward and they know he's going to set the play. So what they do is they squeeze off the setting angles, nick it and turn around. So this was a day for activity and movement. We now need very creative but he can't be creative if no one's moving or no one can find him. He's just another player. It's as simple as that. So he goes hunting for the ball, goes inside. West Ham overload on our left-hand side and kill us, put crosses in. And that's not good. So we need a bit more shape. That's why Pepe came on, not to, just to give a, that stand, that hole, to fill that hole and pin people back. And once we got that breadth and we covered that side, we could overload on the left with a bit more um, creativity and a bit more presence, and we end up getting a winning goal. So 
that this is football, and I do think we have to look at Aubameyang and centre-forward a little bit more. It's hard to pick the games, but at home, maybe we should think about it a bit more. It's just crazy that he won't do it. You know, this... This is why football is the worst game to analyze and why you'd have to be crazy to, to do a football podcast because I, I thought Aubameyang was mediocre. He had a brilliant assist. I thought Lacazette was poor, really poor. He scores the opening goal. Ceballos had a bad game. He sets up the winner. <laughs> you know, like, like who would want to analyze football? Because I thought Lacazette and Ceballos were two of our poorer performers and, like, they win the game for us more or less. Now, granted, it's Saka who... who uh, provides the service and we should be purring over what we have in that player, especially on a day when he wa- he wasn't getting the service he deserves. And I do think that we will spend time really celebrating this win at the end of this podcast. Don't get me wrong. We're going to look at what these three points mean and would we have gotten these three points in the past. But Paul, I mean, part of this too is um, we've spent a lot of time talking about creating chances because, I mean, we had a lot of the ball and we didn't create a lot of the chances. We're outshot 14 to seven, but I want to focus on the defense. So, I think Gabriel was given man of the match. I, I find it a little head-scratching, but so be it. Um, you know, the, the goal they score is, I think it's bad on a lot of people. I think Shaka doesn't press early enough. I think Cola doesn't close down early enough. Those are the two big ones. Holding lets uh, Antonio get in front of him, which he shouldn't. And I also think Gabriel is marking no one. I mean, he's running to the near post, and maybe you could say that's that's his job, is to run to the near post there, but there's nobody there, and I, I thought he could have cut it out. It's just not great defending all around. Gabriel did have some really good work keeping them out. One thing that I noticed, and I'm just going to bring this up again, I did mention on the Instant Reaction Pod, if you want to watch this game again and have a laugh, watch every time Gabriel had to go up for a header. It was the craziest thing. There's the handball one that could have been a penalty but shouldn't have been, where he he just misses it. There's another one where he's stooping right on the edge of the bo- of the six-yard box, right in front of the goal, and he's stooping and he, he's like a foot below it there's another one where he jumps with someone small. I'm not even sure it was like a midfielder. And he mistimes his jump completely and it goes right over him to the midfielder. Like for a big dude, he had a bad day in the in the air uh, trying to head the ball, which is weird. But I'm, I'm curious how you thought of the performance of, of the defense. And I, I, you know, I'll admit that maybe Leno didn't have the commanding performance in the box to, to settle down the defense. He, he gave them plenty to do with spilled balls and, and, you know, maybe punches that could have been better. But I mean, overall... A tolerable day from the central defense is that is that the best way to categorize it? I, I think there were some dodgy moments, and the goal uh, I, I definitely mention. Uh, you know, we, we gave the uh, the crosser way too much space to get a. He was basically uncontested. Just no matter what way you want to look at it, if, giving a guy a free run and a free shot at putting in a cross, just all wrong. So take your choice. Take him down early pressure him, uh, you know, go in for the challenge, but fucking hell, just just letting a guy run the length of the pitch uh, and put in a cross is bad. And then holding, I think, actually has a pretty good position on Antonio, but Antonio accelerates and holding doesn't anticipate it, and he, he needs to be going to get in ahead of that guy. Uh, those are the two big ones for me. I know what you mean on Gabriel because I'm, I'm kind of looking at his position, but I, I think it's pretty marginal. He could have he could have gambled a little bit and and gone a little deeper to cut off that ball, um, but his positioning's not terrible. Uh, I think overall Gabriel's pretty good. I know what you mean on the headers. Um, but I think generally he's pretty good on headers um, from my vast research of him, which um, 
I think accumulated about 135 minutes and and I guess we saw the uh, Fulham game where he had to do some of that heading stuff and he was very good but yeah he was uh, it was not his best heading day I think overall he was pretty good uh, I thought they really went after holding and on review of it I think holding generally did pretty good and him and and I think we all saw him and Antonio having a bit of laugh and I think that's because Holding actually thought he was he was mostly holding his own with him, and I think he was. Um, but I think they went after that side just because they wanted to go wide, and that was the the side that suited Antonio as opposed to they were having great joy against Holding. I think they were just having great joy down that wing. Um, I mean, ironically, it's Bellerin who who chases the ball into the box before the the end of the first half. Um, and were caught way upfield with everybody but but the centre-backs back. And I, I think we uh, Holding was often kind of exposed for whatever reasons on that side. It didn't seem like he had a huge amount of cover from Bellerin. So Bellerin was getting forward quite a lot, even if we weren't producing that much on that side. Um, I don't know. I thought the the defensively, we were in all sorts of trouble quite often, especially... Uh, that 20 minutes in the second half when they, when they came at us and, and we were still fairly sterile in our play. I think individual, you know, Kolasinac was an issue. Um, <clears throat> but I think defensively, it, it, it was a bit ragged. It was players who hadn't played together. You had uh, those, the, the, the cross that Sack ended up having to defend on his own because all three centre-backs were on the front post. And it was just kind of, it was a bit off and everything was a little off. I thought Gabrielle was okay. Holding was okay uh, for the most part. Leno uh, kind of reminded you why Emmy Emmy's strengths on claiming the ball and dominating his area was something that, that I think teams develop a level of confidence around their six-yard box with that starts to apply to other areas of the game. But he was good otherwise. Mm. So... Second game of the season, ropey, change of players, uh, a, a shock change to the back lineup after you've been practicing all week long. But yeah, we were we were pretty ragged, especially over on our left side, ironic, uh, ironically, even if they were coming down our right side. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't help narratively that uh, Emmy Martinez has saved a penalty on his debut. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, it just... It, it, you feel for, for Leno because the amount of good he would have to be for people to stop talking about Emmy Martinez is not really a reachable level. I mean, I, I don't think you would say that the problem with this game is, is Leno per se. I mean, again, I, I fully acknowledge that Leno did not have a classic game commanding his area, but like he's just never going to be out, able to get out of the shadow of Emmy Martinez because a, he's very large and B, um, he played at a level that, over a short period of time, I don't think you can exceed it. So, you know, France is always Emmyer now. Yeah, and to be fair, maybe that's why we signed Runar uh, because it's very easy to get out of his shadow. Um, that's both a size joke and a quality joke. And I'm kidding. I look backup keeper. No big deal. It's a refrigerator. Don't worry about it. Um, Tim, I think you know it. It still looks like Arteta, if there's an area where he's learning and he's trying to figure it out and he's you know, not totally confident yet, it's how he wants to change it when he makes subs. It still feels like his primary move is like for like. 
you know, it's it's Pepe for Willian. It's it's Enkedia for Lacazette. He doesn't necessarily want to change the shape. It worked out in this game, so I'm not criticizing him. Just do you do you think that he could show a little more flexibility with substitutions in terms of the timing, but also maybe a willingness to try a different shape, or are you more inclined to say, hey, look, it worked. We won. He he got you know players on the pitch, one of whom made the difference in Enkedia. Like how how do you view his use of substitutions in sort of a uh, rigidity to some extent in terms of sticking with the system. I think this is one to stick a pin in um, and keep an eye on. I, I would say that the shape did slightly change at the beginning of the second half, albeit just not through a substitution. So we, we swapped Shaka and Ceballos. Um, I think we kind of weren't really playing a 3-4-3 quite as much. I think it was much close to a 4-3-3 in the second half. Yes, all the, all the changes were pretty much like for like, and, and the third change that was going to be made was uh, going to be El Nenny for Ceballos. Um, <laughs> but which which is, I mean, in a sense, like for like. But I think what that tells you as well, and where there's probably mitigation for Arteta here, is he, he doesn't have a lot to play with in terms of um, you know changing shape and changing games. So the, the signing of Willian gives him a bit more because it gives him you know Pepe as a bench option. Um, and and Inketia as well, uh, but there's I mean there's only one thing you can do with Inketia, um, really he like he can't and, and this isn't criticism of him at all, but he is he's a number nine. You put him up front, um, so yes maybe you could have put him up front with Lacazette and Aubameyang. Um, I think that's something we have done before um, when chasing games, but I, I wonder if um, Arteta. It's interesting because Arteta does talk about becoming tactically more flexible, and I think he means that more subtly than maybe we think. But if he is from, as it looks, the the kind of the Pep Bielsa slash Cruyff school, as much as as much as it looks like, the whole premise there is, um, you know, don't do Plan B, just keep doing Plan A, keep mm. having faith in Plan A, do Plan A to death, do Plan A so much that you know it back to front, do Plan A until like it's a cult and that you go to bed at night bowing before a big letter A. <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole thing is... I don't think I have a choice repetition. about the pod title now anymore. <laughs> I, I had a couple in mind, but I, I don't think I have a choice anymore. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of repetition of patterns and things like that. And, and, just, and, and to be fair, Wenger never used to change the formation, really. He'd put, like, he'd put any old fucker at right back. Um, that, that was like... But but I mean he he I think you know Wenger got it with attacking substitutions. It was it, there, there isn't really much of a sophistication to it. It's just okay. I'm going to take off um, you know my defensive midfielder and replace him with a centre forward, and I'm going to take off the least enterprising of our two wingers and replace him with a centre forward. So I'll have like Carnu and Wiltord on the left and right wing, which is ridiculous. But what they will do is just get in the area and just pin this team back and. Um, you know, I, his substitutions were not sophisticated at all, and they didn't really do anything to change the formation. He didn't, he didn't used to suddenly go to three or four up front. He would just put strikers on, but in the same areas of the pitch where he already had midfielders because he'd trust their instincts. And and I think it, it's, I guess it's a line you walk, isn't it, between making a decisive change but not completely ruining kind of the balance of your or the equilibrium of your team by confusing them and just like you know asking them to play three different formations in a game um so i I think it's one to stick a pin in particularly maybe as his options get better 
Um, one thing that is interesting, I think, was that Joe Willock wasn't going to be on the bench for this. And even, you know, he came onto the bench um, when Tierney pulled out. And even with him on the bench, El Nenny was Arteta's next option. That, that to me, like, I, I've, I think El Nenny's going to stay um, this season. I don't think he'll be a starter, but I think he'll come into the rotation. I, I believe Arteta when he praised his performance against Fulham. Um and so I think that's something to keep an eye on. But the substitutions thing, yes, maybe. But I do think there's a tricky balance there. Um, and that Arteta's probably being influenced by, you know, an, a number of factors, particularly in the kind of early um, early generation of this team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing is, look, the thing that's interesting about Arteta's system is that it's several different systems in one, right? Because, like, yeah, it's not just a back three where the wing backs float up. Like in possession, it can be a four-two-two-two, and it can do all kinds of different things. So sometimes the tweaks aren't about who you bring on; it's about where you position the players within that system. Um, and so we, you know, we we need to expand our our minds a little bit about how you change a system because it doesn't have to be by bringing on different players. What Arteta has shown us, it can be about by deploying the players you're using in a different way. Um, let's talk a little bit about the subs, though. I mean, Clive. The, the Pepe thing is an interesting conversation. And, I, you know, we did an instant reaction pod after Fulham where we did the natural thing after a 3-0 win, which is complained about Pepe for 45 minutes. So that's why everybody loved that pod. But, I mean, it is it is a conversation that is... I don't understand how you can get away from it because we have a lot invested in him. His price tag is not all he is. He is a player, and his qualities are what matters, not his price tag at this point. But given what we spent to get him, and we know that some of that might have been transfer chicanery, the fact is we have a lot invested in that move working. Um, he's a player we obviously felt could be a big player for us, and I still think he can. I think he is tremendously talented. I don't know that I think he works as a substitute. I think much like Alexis, he's going to try a lot of things and they don't all come off, and players like that are streaky, and they go through moments where it's working for them and moments where it isn't. I think he needs more time for that to happen. I also don't think it helped that he came on at a time when we were very left-side biased in the way we were building play and the way we wanted to attack. So... Given that it was a, a quiet game for Willian, and I, I think even potentially a poor game for Willian, um, where do you think Pepe stands right now? I think I think the front three pecking order is a really interesting one because we have a lot of options up there. Um, and, and you know, it, it is a little bit unclear to me what, what the plan is. And it and doesn't have, have to be games. a set plan. What, what do you think? Yeah, we have a lot of games. Uh, we do have a lot of games. And we got a lot of big games as well coming up. So I'm I'm never worried about these things. I think a week or so ago when William had a you know, nine out of ten game, we're thinking, Crikey, what's gonna happen here? In this in this game, I actually think he would have suited Pepe much more. I think he would have fixed their fullbacks more. I think he would have stayed wider longer. And they had a double fullback thing. They did what we do with Cresswell and Mazuaku and and they pushed us back and they ran into those areas. And if Pepe was there, they would, one of them would have stayed back because they have to because he's got the speed to run beyond. And it just, you know, sometimes a game suits you and sometimes a game doesn't. And it's just the way it goes. I don't worry about Pepe. You know, I think he's not quite as sharp as net. And I don't think, like for example, Sobias was. I don't think he was anywhere near fit. But he, you know, he got his minutes, and he ended up setting up the winning goal. It's a great day for him. That's not the surprise we saw after lockdown. He was nowhere near as fit as a shot. No, as I, he I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, and he was just dragging his legs again, like he did in January, right? So it's going to take time for his players to get up to speed. Not all of them come back like Aubameyang does, you know, looking exactly the same, if not better, right? So some of them are just not there, and that's why, for example, Holding is looking fitter. 
You know, he's he's looking better than he's done. He's in good shape. And the manager said, I can't afford to lose you. I've got centre-backs going out the door. I've got Mary not there yet. I've got two young guys coming in and first time they've even been to the stadium. And we're judging them if they jump under a ball. Gabriel jumps under a ball. That's the first time he's come up against Mikel Antonio. And once he boshed him in the second half, Antonio went over to um, holding side because that's, that's where he saw the, the fun because Bellerin was... His currency of success was how can I get up the pitch? And he wants to go front footed, which worked beautifully at Fulham where we had good possession. When we had dodgy possession against West Ham because they were much sharper in the challenge, suddenly he's out of his hole. And suddenly they're putting crosses in and holding's playing right back. Every game has a different story and we just have to accept it. I think Tim's points about um, you know, what what we do off the subs bench, I think what we're gonna see from now on, and I've, I've, I've said it before, is we're gonna we're gonna see more players that can do more things, more hybrid players, and we need to have a centre forward that can post and go long. We need to have the ability to switch to Bamyang so he can go centre forward, and we don't lose a pace out wide. We need to have a midfielder that can carry or so, and can pass as well, so he can play the horseshoe game, but can also step for the lines. These things will come. And the shape will change in-game because we've got people like Saka and Maitland-Niles that can do both. They're now two-way players. So I just think he's building his squad and these games are ones you really, really learn from. And as fans, we have to be comfortable to know that not every game is going to be like Fulham away. What does that actually mean? So for me, players at different levels of fitness. Pepe, I'm still behind. I'm still confident. Um, and he will have his period in the season where he's really, really good, as did William last week, for example. We just got to accept it. The thing I will say is I think Pepe really shined against some of the really tough teams we played towards the end of Project Restart and in the Cup. So, Paul, it leads me to wonder, I mean, is it possible that, that that's sort of how Arteta sees it, that William keeps the ball ticking over, he moves it quickly, he doesn't slow it down, he's not as individualistic, which lets the sort of system work against what you might consider weaker opposition. I think we sometimes go too far in, in calling things weaker opposition because I think in the Premier League, as we're seeing, there, there's not a lot of weak... I mean, Brighton really pushed Chelsea and Palace beat United and, you know, these things... Hilariously, by the way. And, and Everton beat um, Spurs hilariously. The less said about what they did after that, the better. Um, but, I mean, is it possible that Pepe would be in line to start, you know, some of these big, big games we have coming up like, you know, Liverpool, for example, at the weekend because he was quite good in those games and his individualistic skill might show itself more in games where we will be less on the ball and less in possession yeah and i mean um for all the talk about why why do we make him play from deep and have to work his way up the pitch um he's one of the best players to take the ball up the pitch uh he gave van van dyke conniptions the the first time we played them at anfield um, so I think Clive's point is very sage, which is we got a lot of games coming up, um, and I think we're going to see a lot of Willian, Willian and Pepe, and it's there for Pepe to, I mean, his ceiling should be the highest, basically the highest in the team alongside Aubameyang if he can ever achieve his his full potential. So he's going to get a run of games here, whether it's coming on for 30 minutes because we need a goal or 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 40 minutes at the end of a game or and then maybe starting the next game when he's proved something um i definitely rate him as a counter attacking option 
uh, when we're seeing less of the ball in these tougher games. He's, I think he's about to get a lot of minutes. Um, so hope he's up for it. And uh, we saw towards the end of last season, he was up for it going both ways and, and seemed to have developed an enjoyment of the the uh, the defensive side of the game too, teaming well with Bellerin on a number of occasions uh, where the two of them were holding their corner and putting in tackles and playing their way out. And and what's key is now that we have more a more athletic Bellerin, maybe to our cost a little bit in this game, given uh, he was he was going forward maybe a little bit more than was seemed wise at times, but maybe he's now ready to do that overlapping thing that gets Pepe, Pepe cutting inside, uh, inverting, getting onto his attacking foot, uh, while Bellerin goes up, uh, bombs up the wing. Because what we what we didn't see in this game that was most frustrating was anybody working the corners. Uh, if you think of the um, uh, the uh, what you uh, Firmino uh, created chance in the Liverpool game. Uh, this weekend, the one he floats in with some triangles with Salah, who then cuts in field and the um, Firmino floats in the ball, kind of like Obama Yang did for us into Mane. It's great work in the corners. And we didn't really do that in this game. And what mm. we really you expect, I would have expected more of that Willian and Bellerin working those corners and getting Willian in behind. And yet somehow we didn't manage to do that. We didn't manage to play up that right wing. But that's the opportunity with Pepe and Bellerin. If Bellerin will bomb on and Pepe cuts in, they can create all sorts of patterns. The frustrating thing maybe is that Lacazette isn't as resourceful uh, over in those corners connecting with uh, Willian and Bellerin yet as Firmino can with Salah and Mane. I mean, they just such clever interplay with the three of them. I don't, Lacazette does a lot of good work, but I don't see that cleverness in the triangles and connections yeah. in the channels. So to me, that's the opportunity for Pepe and Bellerin to start creating those connections and hopefully they can link up with Lacazette and do some stuff up in that corner. Mm. Um, but yeah, Pepe's time is coming. Yeah, yeah, look, I... I mean, I, I think that we, we said it on the Instant Reaction Pod and we, we've gone big on the Pepe discussion. I, I think that we are a little scarred as Arsenal fans. We are not used to having more than one good player for a position, which means that sometimes the player you like won't start. I do think it is also fair to say a player that you invest massively in is one that you expect to have a big role, but we'll see. And I, I, Paul, I think you hit the nail on the head on a lot of things there. And I, one thing that I, I want to do though, Tim, is I want to make sure that we also emphasize that like, the expectation that we're going to be a swashbuckling, excellent team on our way to winning every game is silly. We were bad last mm. season. We finished eighth. Even under Arteta, the underlying metrics showed that there was a lot of work still to be done. Arteta himself said they had the best week of training this week that he'd seen, that he was proud of the way they fought, but that they played bad, basically. I mean, that's that's a summary, but that, that's basically what he said, and I, I don't think he's totally wrong. But I think we are all too often inclined to make it our fault when it doesn't go well and never say that the other team was a part of the game. Um, Antonio was a handful and I thought he played well and I thought he put himself about as they say and and challenged us in the air and I thought that they had a plan to to shut down our access to central spaces which we aren't particularly excellent at doing I think we had one hand tied behind our back with Kolasinac and they they understood where to funnel the ball to to short short circuit our our attack I mean they did some things well and they they quickly countered on us which is something that 
you know, I think we can be vulnerable to because let's face it, last season we didn't have a lot of possession. Even in the games we won, even against Fulham, we weren't dominant on the ball. We did a lot in transition. A lot of our goals in Project Restart came from back-to-front moves, playing out from the back under pressure, beating the pressure, creating transition opportunities. We didn't do a lot of pushing teams back. And in this game, we had 63 64% possession. And I think West Ham actually used that to their advantage. Taking a team like mm. Arsenal that hasn't really had a lot of experience playing with the ball a lot and transitioning us effectively. Um Look, there was one period of this game, Tim. It was a 10, 12-minute period. We talked about this, in, or sorry, 22-minute period. It's a bit longer. Talked about this in the Instant Reaction Pod where they outshot us 10 to nothing. It was like the 52nd minute to the 74th minute around then. That was a dreadful period of the game where we looked to me as bad as we have looked, you know, under any coach at any point in time. Other than that, all things being equal, thought we held our own and, and we've covered the weaknesses. So for you... Are you taking more positives than negatives out of this? Are you are you inclined to say this is a game we don't win last season, which is a lot of uh, talking point people are saying. And the reason I think this is complicated, Tim, when Emery arrived, we were all so eager to see yeah. the positives. Understandably, you want to be happy. You're a football fan. You want to support your club and, and love what you're seeing. And so even during that long winning run, when the underlying metrics told us very clearly things weren't working, we were trying to pick out some positives. Um, do you want to contrast this for me and just sort of say why you might see more positives in this and pick out positives in the, in this, um, you know, when, when obviously it's, it's certainly not a vintage performance by any stretch of the imagination. My, um, my personal kind of angle would be, I'm going to wait and see, um, more, more data needed. Not very takey. (laughs) (laughs) Because, because like one way you can look at it, right? We drew 14 games last season and here's a late winner in a game where we, we kind of struggled and you can say, okay, signs of progress. You can also say that this was very, very similar to the last time we played West Ham at home and, um, where we kind of scrapped a one nil we didn't really deserve with a late goal um so in that respect you could say well what's changed um and by the way it was a substitute we brought Lacazette off the bench that day um and he scored the winner so in in one respect it's uh it's exactly the same um so I I think it's one of those things where we're going to have to wait and see we're going to have to wait and see whether you know I I think we'll have a few more games like this and we're going to have to wait and see how they go because this might be um a bit of a kind of this this might be a bit of a one-off it might be just a game where we got lucky or it might become a theme um you know Arteta talked about um teams that don't work hard don't get lucky um, and so he was trying to kind of say, yeah, maybe this wasn't vintage, but we we kind of stuck at it. And he said he saw the belief increase in the last 15 minutes. And I, I kind of get that um, because the thing that struck me with about 15 minutes to go was, I guess, because I wasn't feeling great about the performance. I thought, why have West Ham dropped off? Like West Ham looked the most likely to score. Why have they stopped attacking us? And I guess the thing I didn't consider was that we stopped them. We did something to make them back off, Mm. um, which maybe I didn't appreciate at the time. Um, So I, I, I would temper it and say, um, let's see what happens. Let's, let's see what happens the next time this happens. Is it just, was it just down to variance or does this become a bit more of a theme? But I, I I liked Arteta's comments afterwards about, um, you know, Arsenal kind of needing a game like this and, and taking some lessons from it. And, and of course, taking some lessons and getting the three points is, is kind of exactly what you want. I, um, 
you know, I, I still think that we have an issue with this type of game and I don't think it's going away. And so as much as I hate the way that all football analysis is now um, absolutely around the transfer market. And, and Michael Cox did a, a great tweet about this with Man U Palace saying like, how many Palace players would get in the Man U team? Two tops. And yet all the analysis afterwards is about West is about Man United not buying players. But I, I really do think that that's kind of the case with Arsenal. Unless, um, like we said, going back to my point at the, the, the beginning of the pod, we're a bit braver and perhaps play Saka in that, that third midfield spot. Um, but I, I would take positives from it with things like, you know, Saka making the difference there. Sabios being brave enough to spot that run and break away from the midfield structure. Um, and to, you know, to Inketia, the substitute kind of getting in there and making a difference. So, uh, you know, maybe cautiously optimistic. But to be honest, I wouldn't use this game. And so, like, I think it would be confirmation bias on my part if I used this game and said, yep, see, this is because Arteta is steering us exactly in the right direction. E- even if I if I do think that underneath, um, if I was looking at this scientifically, I'd say this game is not sufficient data to say that this game could have been a one-off. We could have just got lucky. Um, so when we inevitably have this problem again uh, in a few weeks' time, I, I'd probably take a more rounded view of it then. Yeah, I mean, I, this is where you got to be really careful in terms of being willing to see the positives, being willing to, willing to get on the boat to go with the process, and also avoiding like sheer hypocrisy. Right, Because if we were going to point out that a lot of those wins under Emery during that unbeaten run and were bad, that the underlying metrics were bad, that the football was bad, I don't think we can have a win that's kind of not great by underlying metrics where we don't look great under Arteta and say, no, but this one's good. But I can't help myself. I see a difference. I see a coherence to the plan. I see a structure that makes sense. And I think that structure eventually saw us win a game where maybe the shot balance didn't favor us, but the dominance in possession and territory did. And that's something that at, at the worst points before our title, we didn't even have that. I, you know, it's it's a really small needle to thread, I admit, intellectually. Um, and, and Clive, I, I kind of want to finish with you then on that, which is... The other team plays a role. West Ham were good. We beat them. Yep. We didn't do everything perfectly. I don't think by any means we were terrible. We had a terrible period in the match, but like our failures were more failures to find the, the final ball than they were failures to, to play football you know, at a professional level, which at times was the case over the last few seasons. It's also the case that like we haven't really added anyone. We added William. Like, you know, and Gabriel, who admittedly was man of the match, so maybe I should shut my mouth. But like what I mean is the team is still largely what it was when it finished eighth and we're getting results and we needed two wins from the first two games with basically no preseason and we got them. That was the job, job done. Now the tough run comes up and, and we see where we go from there. I think Arteta was great in saying, we're not even talking about the title. That's not what we're trying to do. We're just, you know, we're just trying to grow and get better. Um, So are you able to thread that needle intellectually, seeing the positive, seeing this win as what it was? I mean, look, don't we can't be so analytical that we can't celebrate and punch the air and be thrilled at a late winner. I was going nuts when we scored that goal. I was so happy. So like are are you able to just set aside the analysis for a minute and say I loved this. I love a late winner. You know, doesn't matter if it was a little jammy, but like we won and and we're you know, onward and upward. Yeah, we we draw this game 2-2 last year, don't we? Simple as that. 
And if, or, if or all, one, one, lose we just it never, get the, never yeah. get the second. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I felt we solved problems. Exactly what I want to see. I want to see us solve problems. I want to see us block off sides. You know, Tim sort of said there, we, we, they, West Ham dropped off. Well, they dropped off because we brought on a, a 19, 20-year-old speedster down centre forward that, that, that doesn't want to post up. He wants to run in behind. And we brought on a right winger that wants to run in behind straight away. And... Suddenly that makes them think, well, we can't post, we can't press up on, on William and Lacazette. And all we've got to do is watch the Bamiyang and the service on that side being blocked off. So they have to drop off. They start looking at the scoreboard. They drop away. We start to get possession higher at the pitch. Little slide ball goal. Great. Absolutely wonderful day. We 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 get through the bad bits. We see it out. We were a bit thick before half time with Bellerin running to centre forward and we and holding not able to commit on his man and block off because his wide bow was behind him. Cause and effect, we didn't need to do that in with one minute to go at half time. We get a little slap there. West Ham come out after half time with a bit of confidence and we take a bit of time to fix it. And then we fix it without conceding and then we end up winning the game. This is fine. This is absolutely fine. If we lose, it's a slightly different story. You know, Gabriel gets through gets through a difficult period from when he's jumping under the ball, ends up being dominant. You know, this is it's good. Tobias gets minutes in his legs. Shaka does his thing, develops into the game. Saka goes through the first maybe dodgy patch he's had at home, comes out part of the pre-assist on both the goals. This is good. Bellamy's finding his legs. William discovered that actually I, the way I play this game is not going to work. This is all good. We're finding stuff out. And when we're finding stuff out, we're winning. And it's that we don't look like losing. You know, and this is, it's been a while. You know, it's been a while. We've we got to, you know, enjoy this. It's a journey we're on. It's going to be tough. There's more work to do in the transfer market, which we all know, which is going to give us more options. But while we're learning, we're winning. We have a stable base. We're adding solidity to that base. You know, Kalashnik holding Gabriel. If you... Look at that back three. You know, you would not even predict that four months ago, right? And so we're learning, developing, and I'm happy to see this. Um, I really am. And I'm not concerned about the future at all. I'm just looking forward to adding more players with more layers to allow us to fix more problems like I did in this game in a more seamless way. And it's going to be fun. I'll level with you. If Tim hadn't gone so big on the plan A thing, which I now have to use as the pod title, and I don't really have a choice, more players with more layers. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? But I, I already yeah. committed to the playing anything for Tim, so I apologize. Um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it is also the case that, like, you know, we're not we're not getting cut apart routinely. You know, we're not looking like clown shoes at the back. I think there's a tendency when you're Arsenal to evaluate whether the team is good or bad almost entirely on how well we're attacking. But, like... I do think we look like grown-ups defensively, and I know they had some chances here, and you know, one of their biggest chances of the game I think should be discounted a little because it's the goalkeeper spilling the ball right on, you know, three yards off his goal line. So that makes it look like a huge chance, but it's not from them breaking us down. Uh, they have a goal that's sort of a tap-in that's also their huge XG, and other than that, it's not a lot that they're creating. So I, I think there are positives here. And I, I, look, it's six points from six to start the season when we knew... After these two games, it gets tough. So, Tim, I'll I'll finish with you on just a super quick point. We've got Leicester in the League Cup. We don't have the biggest Mm. squad. We don't have the best squad. And I I think we don't have the luxury of saying, screw the Europa League. That is a clear path into the Champions League for us um, when the league is going to be really tricky, given the amount of talent that's been added um, and the clubs we're competing with. 
So, you know, the FA Cup, we just won it. Sure, we should go for it again, but I mean, that's, that's a topic for January. If there's one competition that, to me, you can just throw away, it's the League Cup. I know there are fans, and I think you're one of them, who sort of falls in the category of, if Arsenal have a fixture, it's important and we don't throw it away. I, I tend to be more from the, um, you have to prioritize camp. And I think mm. given the, the talent we have, I don't see how we can prioritize the League Cup. Leicester's a good squad, so if we really want to win this game, there's a tendency to have to go stronger, and then it's right back to Liverpool in our next game, and then the game starts showing up twice a week, and, and they get pretty hard. So are you willing to let this one go and play the kids, or you know, would you rotate yeah. in some of the first-team players that maybe haven't been as involved, like a Pepe, you know... Um, how how can we can, can we at least get Aubameyang a day off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the league cup, I I pretty much always support what we do, which is which is largely playing the second string, which is exactly what I do this time. Um, which I do anyway, but in this particular season where we've got five weeks fewer and the powers that be have decided we're going to play just as much football, which, which is crazy and really the Carabao Cup shouldn't be happening this season I understand why it is because it's still a revenue generator for particularly clubs lower down the pyramid so I do understand that but you know in in the normal run of things if that wasn't a consideration everyone would just say you know I it probably should go anyway as a competition but uh, I I'd just play the second string so I'd play all the guys that were I, I would play Pepe uh, no problem with playing Pepe here uh, similarly I wouldn't cry any tears if he wasn't but um i'd be starting in ketia reese nelson el nenny um you know if david louise needs some minutes no problem there saliba i think he'll play um you know i i would absolutely play the second string i i will not cry any tears if we go out of this for the reasons that you suggest i, I think sometimes with the cups as well you you play the hand you're given um, and we've been given Leicester away, and if we win that, we get Liverpool away. And I think sometimes you just think, Do you know what? Probably not this year. <laughs> um, but then again, you know, if, if we take them both out, then perhaps that makes uh, that makes the pool a bit weaker. But but look, Man City always go for this, don't they? The Carabao Cup, and that that has kind of meant that they monopolise it in recent years. Um, I you know I I play the second string. I'm not enormously invested in this result. I will not lose any sleep if we lose. Um, so yeah, I you know I let, absolutely let's give Abamyang the day off. I, you know, Jacker stay at home, Sabios stay at home. Um, not least because there's a pandemic as well. Um, you know, and unless there's a bit of a hot spot for that at the moment, so mm. um, you know, let's let's just give those guys a day off. They can sit at home and pay ten pounds for their their match day pass on, on carabao.com and uh, we go from there and we can get some minutes into some guys who, you know, who might need some minutes um, at the moment and, and, you know, might push a case for, for inclusion. Let's see on any again, Varteta likes him, like to like what he saw against Fulham. Let's, let's see if, um, let's see how much of a part of this he can be. Let's see if Pepe absolutely tears it up and scores a hat trick and rips Leicester to shreds. And then he's got a selection dilemma for Liverpool away. Let's, Let's see some of that. Let's see Nketiah again. Let's see if he gets on the score sheet, you know, perhaps pushes his case for for some starts. Um, you know, I, I, th I think that's all fine. And I think that's what we should use this competition for and what, what we pretty much always have used it for. Yeah, I, I could live with that. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, there, there are players betting in who can be used, like William Saliba is the first one that jumps into my mind, obviously. Um, 
I think <laughs> Clive, you Clive me feed, feed, feeding me news. Um, I you know I I think uh, the Pepe one is interesting because you, you give him a game to maybe catch a little bit of fire. That could be great. By the similar token, like does that mean that he doesn't start against Liverpool? Where I mean I, I think he can be devastating against them. Uh, Joe Willock would be another player I think could be in line for a start. Um, again, another one that just popped into my head. Clive, you want to type anything else I can say? I'm like uh, I'm, I'm like Ron Burgundy. Whatever you type into the chat, I just say it. I'm Ron Burgundy. Let's leave it there. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woo-hoo. Tim's on Twitter. Still better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter. Clive BFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Alex Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review and then write in the review all the reasons why the stuff I said was stupid. Um, and, you know, maybe what we need to do from now on is start putting the title of the podcast to a vote because there's so many good uh, possibilities, but uh, Tim gets it today. So anyway, uh, we've got Leicester midweek and then it's Liverpool. Is it Monday for Liverpool? I hate when we don't yep. play on the weekend. But, you know, I mean, yep. you, you look at it and... Uh, you know, we start the season three points up on Chelsea, six points up on United. Granted, they have a game in hand, but like that's just what you want. Get out in front of them and make them chase you and uh, hope their legs fall off. So we'll see how it goes. Lester coming up. We'll have Scott's analytics pod for patrons this week. Uh, one or two other new things. And of course, a post-match pod after the League Cup because God knows that's going to be a barn burner. We love you and we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10, Lester New. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.